I got this one because there is not anyone in the world who loves the idea of calling more than me. I was built for this. Have you ever um, taken those strength finders test? Ever done that? I did do that a few years ago. And I took it, and my top strength, which I don't think is a strength, but they tell me it is, was something called significance. Do you know what significance means? It essentially means you want to be significant. I was like, great, not sure that's a strength, but alas, here we are. Significance was my strength. And it fits in, as soon as they said it, I was like, oh yeah, yeah. It fits into this idea of calling. Ever since I was young, I loved this idea that God gave us gifts, like natural talents, and then our whole life was about figuring out how to use those gifts in what way we could. So that was a particular role or particular job. And I spent the better half of my adolescence trying to figure out what that calling was. I went through college trying to search and I would try one major and then I'd try the next and I'd keep trying to search for this calling. And wouldn't you know that I stumbled into a line of work that recognizes callings, like makes a big deal about callings. Do you know when I was getting ordained, I had to submit a paper called My Call Story? I had to literally write it down. It was like made for me. I could easily do this and talk about how God had led me here and there and there. And then I had found my role. This was it. I'm done. Work accomplished. By 25, I had found my calling. So wouldn't you know that I was a little heartbroken and a little distraught to find out that in fact, the Bible never talks about calling that way, ever. Not once. There is no notion in the Bible of God-given talents being given to someone so that they go find their perfect job. Never. That's not mentioned in the Bible. And that's crazy because I think that's sometimes how we think about jobs. That's how we think about this word calling. I mean, that's what we tell our kids. We might change the language a little bit, make it less religious-y, and say stuff like, what were you born to do? What is your natural aptitude for this? You need, my mom used to say, you need to find something that lights your fire. That's what she said, lights your fire. But it's the same idea. We're trying to teach our kids, and, and rightfully so, how to find their calling. Well, in this series, what we're gonna look at is a few of these so-called call stories in the Bible. There's a few. And we're gonna look at them to figure out well, how is calling actually defined in the Bible? And if that can maybe help us suss out a little bit of what we're trying to figure out, because here's what happens if we latch on to that idea of calling, if the one that I thought. We think that by finding the perfect job or the perfect role, we will somehow solve the puzzle of meaning and significance in our life. We will figure it out. We will find our purpose. And then what happens? We think we find our calling, and what happens? Ooh, this wasn't as significant as I thought it was. Life circumstances change, you get a new boss, the company goes under, something shifts, and you start to recognize like, oops, maybe this wasn't my calling. And that's the problem with our way of defining calling. And so I have a hunch that maybe the Bible and these stories can give us a few clues about how we want to move forward with this notion of being called. 
So today, we're going to go back into the Old Testament, and we're going to look at the story of a young boy named Samuel. Who's heard of Samuel? Spattering. He's not the most popular guy, but Samuel was a good, cool dude that we're going to talk about his story today. He actually has two books in the Bible, and I'm going to give you a little bit of a refresher so you know where we are. Remember, Let's start at the very beginning. God created the world. He chose a people through Abraham. Those people got enslaved. Where? Egypt. Praise the Lord. Egypt. Then who took them out of Egypt? Moses. Moses took them out of Egypt. And bonus question, where did they go? Yes, my confirmands from last year. Bonus points. Promised land. That promised land is called Canaan. So the Israelites were 12 tribes and they lived in this promised land. Did they do a great job in the promised land? Not so much. They didn't really know how to live together. There was a lot of chaos, specifically around leadership. They didn't know who to follow because apparently God was not enough. And so they had a bunch of issues around leadership and who to govern them. And that's where Samuel kind of enters in, because up until this point, they have lived under a series of judges. That's what they called their leaders. And Samuel is kind of the last judge and the first prophet. And the story of Samuel is that he turns out to be the guy who unifies the kingdom of Israel. So his story is a big turning point. So we'll start with the story of Samuel, but I want to also tell you how Samuel started. There's a really beautiful story in 1 Samuel 1, and you may have heard it. Samuel's mother is named Hannah. Hannah asks for a son, and like a classic motif in the Bible, she is barren, but when she asks for a son, she is given a son. As part of that deal, she says, I will dedicate this child to the Lord. And what that meant at that time is she would go drop him off at the priest's temple and leave him there to be raised. And so from the time he was like three or four years old, he went to go live in the temple with a mentor named Eli, a priest named Eli. And that is where our story starts. So if you want to follow along, it's in 1 Samuel 3 is where we'll be starting, but I'll have the words on the screen. So let's read the story together. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli, meaning he was in the service of the Lord in the temple. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There weren't many visions. There weren't prophets yet. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not gone out yet. That's inside the temple. You couldn't go to sleep until that lamp was out. So Samuel was lying down next to it, waiting for it to go out. The ark of the Lord was there. Then the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel, who's probably a young boy at this point, answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli in the next room and said, here I am, you called me. And Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went down and he laid back down. Then the Lord said, Samuel, and Samuel once again got up, went to Eli, and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, nope, I did not call, go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. And again the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Do you think Eli's annoyed at this point? Uh, Probably a smidge, right? He's like, oh my son, like get it together. I did not call you, go back to your room, go to sleep and lie down. 
But then it happens again. Now Samuel did not know the Lord. He did not know the Lord, probably because he was young, right? He was probably six or seven. And the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. The Lord had never communicated to Samuel. So a third time, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. And then Eli realizes, he goes, oh, this is the Lord calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go back, lie down, and if the Lord calls you, say this, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back and lied down in his place, and then the Lord came and stood there. It's interesting phrasing, but that's actually what it says. The Lord came and stood there, calling just as with the other times, and he said, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel did what Eli said. He said, okay, speak, for your servant is listening. And what do you think comes next? We expect, with our version of calling, that there's going to be some, like, ridiculous promise made, right? That there's going to be this grand story that the Lord is going to tell Samuel, hey, you're going to be a really famous prophet, and people will talk about you for a long time, and you're going to have a major involvement in this thing called a kingdom, which you don't really know what that is, but one day you will. That is not at all what the Lord says. It's actually kind of disappointing after that, because what the Lord says is just this, although it's funny language. See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. Isn't that a good phrase? Everybody hear it tingle. And at that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. And let's see, we'll explain that in a second, because let's see what Samuel does next. So Eli wakes up in the morning, and he knows, like, ooh, Samuel has had a vision from the Lord, so he asked Samuel, what was it he said to you? Don't hide it from me. And so Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. So I need to go back and explain what the Lord said really quick, because here's what's important about that. Eli's sons, no good. They were supposed to inherit the temple. That was kind of the natural way of things. But they were actually pretty wicked and crooked. And so what the Lord is telling Samuel is essentially, hey, I need you to tell Eli that he has not followed my word. He has not restrained his sons. He has let them do evil. And for that reason, you will become the priest. You will become the priest in this temple. And so you can imagine Samuel, as a young boy, he didn't want to tell Eli that. He didn't want to tell this guy who had been raising him that. But Samuel does anyways. In a lot of ways, this call story doesn't feel like a call story. It's not exactly what we wanted or what we imagined when we think about God calling people. But I think this call story is actually pretty representative of how the Lord works in our life, how God calls us. So what I can notice from this call story is a few things, and I want to share them with you really quickly. I think if we're trying to come up with a definition of what calling means in the Bible, the first thing that I noticed is this. I noticed that the calling is an invitation, always. And what I mean by invitation, when you get something in the mail for an invitation, what do you have the option to do? What are you required to do? 
say yes or no, or RSVP. I know y'all don't do that anymore, but there is a thing in the past where we used to do that, right? You used to say yes or no. Very rarely in the Bible is there a call from God that cannot be refused. What did Samuel have to say to God to get him to speak? Speak, your servant is listening. Did God speak without Samuel's permission? No. In order for calling to work in our lives, there has to be an affirmative response. There has to be a response to the invitation. So it's the first thing. Calling is an invitation. The second thing that I notice about calling in the Bible is this. It's an invitation to participate. And what I mean by this is I think so often we construe our understandings of calling to mean this grand, overwhelming vision of the world. When in reality, what we're actually called to do is a very small task. Those participation tasks are tiny. What did Samuel need to do because of his call? What did he have to do? Just talk to Eli. That was it. It wasn't this grand call. It was task-based. It was a small participation task And it wasn't something grand or big vision that Samuel had to do. So often in call, we make the mistake of thinking that it's something bigger than it actually is. And the third part that I think is true about calling is often we don't understand that an invitation, a calling is an invitation to participate in something that is already happening. It's an invitation to participate in God's creative and redemptive or redemptive and creative work in the world. And let me give you a little clue. Those words, creative and redemptive, that's just kind of normal Christian ease speak that they use in seminary to describe how God is working in the world. When we need words to describe what God's work looked like, we use the words creative and redemptive. Because if we had to narrow down the way that God is working now, we would choose two things. He makes things, and he saves or heals things, right? And those are the two ways, primarily, that we see God working in the world today. And sometimes we think that our role in our calling is about us, when in reality, it's part of a larger story, one that we actually can't really see really well. And we see this in the larger story of Samuel. So Samuel's calling, it starts with this. This is the first thing. He tells Eli, right? But it doesn't end there. He stays in connection with God, and there's more calls, documented and not documented in the Bible, that shows his next step. So the next thing he does is he becomes a judge, right? He replaces Eli's sons. Then he goes on to appoint a king. He really doesn't want to, but the people want a king, and the Lord tells him, fine, give them what they want. And he appoints a guy named Saul. The next thing he does is he has to admonish that king. Turns out, king, not so good. Saul, not so great. And Samuel has to go to him and say, look, buddy, I appointed you king. Lord appointed you king. You got to do better. But God abandoned Saul, and what does Samuel need to do next? He has to choose a new king. I will give super, super bonus points to anyone who knows the name of the king after Saul. Paula. David. Amazing. David is the next king. Samuel has to choose him. You knew that, didn't you, Cam? Do you know that? Yeah, he knew that too. He 
He knew that. So he chooses a new king. And then it doesn't turn out that well, actually. Saul and David, Saul tries to, spoiler alert, Saul tries to kill David, right? It turns out this big deal. And Samuel ends up needing to be a refuge for that king. And right before he dies, that's what he does. He saves David. But if you were Samuel and you were looking at all these steps and you were looking at what your life had become, you might look at that and think, God, that is complicated. That is circuitous at best. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I was here and then you told me to appoint a king and I did. Then that king didn't turn out so great and then I had to go back and appoint a new king. And every step didn't feel like this is how I'm supposed to feel. But what Samuel understood, and what I don't think we understand, is that being called is not being called to a this, or a particular place, or a particular job. Being called is being called to a who. Being called means being faithful to the one who is calling you. And sometimes that looks like steps that don't make sense. Sometimes that means that you take one step and you're like, I'm very confused where we are, why we're here and what I'm doing. And then God calls you to the next step. And you think, God, this doesn't make sense compared to that next step. I don't understand God where you're going. And then you take that next step and you really still don't get where God is leading you. And sometimes it's not even until the end of your life you can look back and see the thread that was being woven. But in the middle of it, it sure doesn't feel like a linear path. But the point is this, that being called means taking that next step in faithfulness and understanding that your life is only this city block. It's not something you can see very well. It's not something you really understand. It's not something you were meant to understand, to be honest. What Samuel understood was that to participate in what the Lord is doing today, we need to understand our place. We need to understand that though we see this, God sees this. And that's why we're not God. That's why we don't need to know the fuller picture. That's why God reduced the steps to something really small like talking to your mentor or applying to that school or being kind to the stranger or bringing your neighbor something when they move in. The steps are not grand. They're not something that is way above your pay grade. There's something you can do because he made you to do them. And there is some wisdom in this, some wisdom that is beyond our understanding, that the call, our call, is these small steps that lead up to a life of faithfulness. And it is in that faithfulness that we find the thing that we are looking for. So often, I, part of my job, right, is that I meet people at the end of their life. And so I get to have a lot of conversations about purpose and meaning and what meant something to them. And so often, it occurs to me 
that the people who have the most peace about their lives are the ones that understood that they were part of something better and bigger. That it was not them trying to effort their way through the world. It was not them who was responsible for leaving a legacy. It was not them who was responsible for controlling their kids and making sure they turned out okay. It was not them who determined how much money they would have. It was not them. And so at the end of the day, when life is over, they can look back and see that circuitous path and understand that it was always, it has always been part of something much bigger than themselves. And that is my prayer for us as we go about our lives, whether we're in the first half of life and trying to figure out this magical thing called calling, or whether we're in our second half of life and wondering what that meant since we thought calling was the thing we did our first half of life, whether we're raising kids, whether we're raising grandkids, whether we're somewhere in the middle, that we would redefine what it means to be called, that we would know that the steps God calls us to are doable, and small, but through taking those steps, through being faithful to the one who called you, that you will actually find what you have always been looking for. Let us pray. Lord of mercy and Lord of grace, your word abounds. Jesus, sometimes it is hard to perceive your calls, even as small as they are. And my prayer specifically today is that each and every one of us may hear those calls, whether they are a voice in the night, whether they are smaller, more subtle, like an intuition or a coincidence, maybe a friendly chat in Starbucks or a postcard that comes in the mail, maybe a thought that just keeps occurring in our head inexplicably over and over again. Lord, give us ears to hear. And when we can't have the ears, Lord, give us other people in our lives that can help us perceive those calls. Let us be a faithful people, one who paves the road forward to make your kingdom, to participate in your larger vision for the world so that we may all enjoy and prosper and find meaning in heaven on earth in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Right now we're going to call the ushers forward, but also if you have those connect cards, this is a time to let us know if there's any needs in your life, if you need us to be praying for something, if you moved, if there's a big thing going on, drop it in the offering basket as it comes around. This is one of our primary ways of connecting with you. And we'll sing one more song. You'll notice the words. We always say that songs are a form of prayer. So in a minute, the band is gonna ask you to stand and sing. And I ask that that be kind of our version of a closing prayer.